Well, not a lot of good news around today. We are celebrating Ukraine's Independence Day with news about just how much we're all paying for it, with energy prices continuing to pose a massive problem in the UK and Europe, and central banks are focused on more hikes, with two-year yields pushing a lot higher today in the UK. But as Joe Stiglitz has been saying overnight, will it help or make matters worse? So even though we've talked about the resilience of the UK economy lately, today uh, we look at just how much trouble is it in, really? It's Thursday, the 25th of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar hasn't moved too much today, but the pound and the Aussie dollar are down about 0.3%. The yen has fallen another quarter percent. Bond yields are higher again. Ten-year treasuries up to 3.11%. That's up six basis points. Ten-year gilts in the UK are up 12 basis points to 2.69%. But it's the movement at the front end in the UK that we'll look at today. Aussie ten years were up five basis points yesterday, up to 3.62%. Up another six basis points since then on futures. And stocks in the US are up. The Nasdaq has gained 0.4%. The Dow closed up 0.2%. The S&P 500 up 0.3%. Meta has climbed 1.3%. NVIDIA up a quarter percent. Apple up 0.2%. So it's big tech that is driving a lot of the gains. In Europe, we've got a 0.4% rise in the Eurostox 50, but a quarter percent fall in the FTSE 100. Nothing is going right for the UK, it seems. And oil up again, 1.3% up in Brent, over 150 now. A 1.6% rise in WTI. Dutch gas futures have fallen 2.8% percent from their peak yesterday but you know so what when we are still five and a half times more than they were a year ago three and a half times more than they were in june uh, and no signs of it slowing so it's gavin friend who joins me today from nab in london uh, we've got a big jump in uk bond yields two-year yields up 22 basis points this morning up to 2.93 percent that's 126 basis points so far this month so we're clearly expecting more from the from the bank of england uh but uh well, so we'll look at that today but also you know there's the the drive in equities what's happening there uh is it just that this is the only safe place to put money now go for big tech in the u.s yeah, good morning, Phil. I mean, stocks are up. Well, they, they tried to rally um, in the US at the open today. Um, they put on, you know, sort of, I guess, in the tech sector, one and a half percent. But the those gains have not been able to be uh, to be held on to. And we, you know, get move towards the close with stocks up smalls as they are in Europe. I think markets generally are betwixt and between heading into the Jackson Hole uh, symposium, which starts today. Of course, everybody's waiting for Fed Chair Powell on Friday. So we've got to wait a bit for that. We're going to get some stuff and things, some academic talks in the meantime from, from, from the Kansas City Fed uh, Symposium. Um, and I think, you know, really, um, it is what's going on in Europe with those gas prices that continue to move up, that's pushing up inflation expectations, that's allowing... It's, it's, it's allowing, uh, it's giving US yields a small bit of a tail lift, if you like. They've been pushing up, as we know, since um, early this month. I mean, US yields, twos are up 53 basis points since early, early in the month. Tens are up 55. They're just nudging up a little bit, but certainly in the last couple of days, they're just following what's going on in Europe uh, on the back of the gas prices. I mean, other than that, it's been, you know, a day where there hasn't been much in the way of key economic data, has it? You know, durable goods and pending home sales in the US and nothing particular to write home about no, there. But, but soft. I mean, and so, and so that, you know, raises the question, if you see, if we keep on seeing soft data like that, does that uh, 
change the tack from the Fed? I don't think I'm asking that question, but I think we know the answer is not because, you know, all by all accounts, Jerome Powell is going into this meeting uh, and, mm. uh, you know, he is going to try and channel his uh, inner Paul Volcker and, uh, you know, and, 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 and not give away any indication that, you know, he's going to do anything other than keep pushing rates up until inflation's beaten. Yeah, I mean, just we need to split this apart because it's the housing data today pending home sales for July down 1%. That was better than the 2.6% consensus, but it followed an almost 9% fall in June and where pending home sales are down, what, um, 22.5% year to day and down 27% from their October high. Mortgage rates have fallen back from their peak in the US. But financial conditions, which were easing in the last couple of months, are tightening again. And as we know, um, you know, data follows continued slide in new and existing home sales uh, and the latest read on mortgage applications today, which was also lower. I mean, to your mm. point, with the Fed expected to need to do more and how to reiterate that on Friday, that's the general expectation that we most people are falling in line with. House prices surely have further to fall. Durable goods, on the other hand, were, I mean, they were flat or up 03 uh, month for month, uh, ex transport, strip out aircraft and defense orders, and they were up um, a more respectable 0.4 um, yeah. with a 2.10. And the June number revised as June number, yeah, exactly, June up from uh, 0.7 to 0.9%. I mean, so that doesn't sound like a recession, does it? No, that no, sounds like businesses no. investing in the future. And to your point, I mean, we think about things like, you know, um, earlier in the week we saw the PMIs in the services sector in the US crash to, mm. you know, 44 from 47. And yet we know that the ISM read on services in the US is still at 50. Um, You know, manufacturing respectively, 51, 52. We know that the labor market in the US is strong, creating what, 450,000 jobs in the last three months. That's not recessionary. So, and yet, you know, we've got on the other side, we've got Bloomberg reporting today, one in six people in the US are behind on energy bills. I mean, just imagine what that number must be in the UK and Europe, where obviously energy is an even bigger problem. So, I mean, there's there's a two-speed economy, that's for sure. It clearly is, the haves and the have-nots. And we can come on to that because if that's the case, if that really is the case in the US, one in six, the worst in history in terms of falling behind with their energy bills, at an energy, at a gas price, which is... I mean, gas is not all energy, of course, but gas prices, which on Henry Hub are now twice the long-term average, three times at a push if you take the average from 2016. They're 14 times higher than the long-run average in Europe, 12 times in the UK. Imagine what that is doing to people's budgets and to to businesses. Um, It will be crucifying them. So, um, yeah, I think hard times hit, and that is why all the action is on in Europe. We've had a sort of 30% jump in, in gas prices this week, um, yeah. and it's all because, you know, markets increasingly – I mean, it started off by the three-day shutdown at Nord Stream 1, but, of course, the backdrop to this is markets are increasingly aware. The Kremlin's uh, tactics are it's going to keep continuing squeezing Europe – particularly Germany, um, until it gets to a point when in the sort of uh, bleak midwinter in Europe where maybe it can drive a wedge in the Western alliance, hoping that, um, you know, sides well, will might. crack. Um, and I wonder, I mean, you wonder if they're going to succeed on that. Because, I mean, so there were figures from the UK today saying that, uh, you know, that, that actually in, in June, uh, the, the, the trade with Russia 
uh, fell 96%, including no fuel at all. So uh, uh, exports were down 67%. But basically, the UK was buying nothing in terms of energy from, from Russia. So that's great. But the bad news is the IEA, uh, the International Energy Agency, uh, a report out today saying, while well, Russia's exports of crude and oil products to Europe, the US, Japan and Korea have fallen by nearly 2.2 million barrels per day since the start of the war. That's all been rerouted to India, China, Turkey and others, along with, you know, seasonally higher demand uh, domestically. And that has mitigated those uh, those losses. Uh, by, uh, by, by July, Russian oil production was only down 310,000 barrels a day below pre-war levels. And then you've, nothing. you've got to think about the price effect. Um, you know, yeah. they're getting a lot more for what they're managing to export and reroute. I mean, that, that is the point, isn't it? That for Europe, it's, it's long had this idea that it would wean itself off of Russian oil by the end of the year. We know that the US doesn't, doesn't buy any. We know that the UK, is, as you say, has, has managed to get, wean itself off that. It's Europe's challenge to do same, and it's pushing ahead with that. And that is, as, as we talked about before, that's one of the big revenue gainers for Russia. And that's why it's penalizing Europe on the gas. It's because it mm. knows that... Um, while it derives less income from that, it is much more important for keeping the lights on and keeping the factories and the and the houses uh, lit, um, you know, and heated uh, in Europe. Um, we're getting to this 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 point now where markets are really staring down the barrel of this and thinking, well, unlike in the US where the Fed has got a challenge to soften demand, you know, tight financial conditions, the whole point is to slow the economy so that demand comes down to sort of an insufficient supply. You don't have uh, that issue in the UK, yes, you, in the Europe. Yes, you have insufficient well, supply that, in terms that, of gas. That is the point that uh, Joe Stiglitz, the economist who uh, he was served as an advisor under the uh, Clinton ad- administration, I mean, he's been saying, and he was talking on Bloomberg today, he was talking about Europe. I think he was talking as much about it in the US as well just about how pushing up interest interest rates isn't going to fix supply shortages. In fact, he says it makes it harder to invest in fixing that problem. That means it entrenches the position of the powerful companies that might be restricting supply, so that keeps costs high. And, of course, it adds to housing costs as well, so landlords pass on those costs, which inflates uh, rent, which pushes prices even higher. In short, it makes things worse at every level, he says, so it raises the question, why are central banks doing it? Mm. Well, it's a debate that will continue. Um, but as I said, I think in the US, the challenge there is to is to crimp uh, demand down to insufficient supply, which the Fed will clearly have some success in doing over a period of time. It, it, the, the situation in Europe where you have insufficient gas supply, there's nothing that can be done by monetary policy to help that. Um, pulling up rates in Europe and the UK won't, won't have a situation. It will merely create a demand and presumably to the point where if rates keep going up, labour markets will weaken, they'll turn, unemployment will rise. And as you know, private sector firms start to collapse because they can't afford to pay their workers, uh, presumably these very high levels of, of public sector pay settlements that are being asked for uh, in the UK. They're not being given at the market. They're being granted. There's a, there's a fight going on there. But um, these will these demands will wane because the labour markets just won't be strong right. enough. And, and, and um, the, what devastation is the economy? A, so the expectation is in the UK that, uh, you know, as, as we're seeing with those two-year yields uh, pushing so much higher today, 
that you know we're going to mm-hmm. move from an interest rate of one point seven five percent. It's you know, it's priced in now for I think four and a half percent by May. And you can't do that without a recession, can you? And then you know there's a number that's being bandied about. If they were to try and stop any uh, growth in the in, in the rise in prices beyond the next pay, uh, but the next rise in in the UK, that would cost a hundred billion dollars. So yeah. I mean, if, to, to do that, there's going to be a lot more government bonds having to yeah, be. Yeah, but there's a problem with that. I mean, that's a number that's been uh, that's been given provided by some energy companies a hundred billion pounds to um to to, to basically sort out the energy the energy uh, issue for the next two years and energy companies are saying they would cap people's bills at around about two thousand for the average bill but that's on today's gas price it's moved 30 percent in a week it's a fast moving target it's very difficult i mean by the time we get to october november if we get to that point where is it going to be if, if, if Russia continues to turn the dial down, where is that price going to be? Um, and what at that point, I think, is going to be the appetite for this in business and and Europe citizens and UK citizens? What's, you know, is there going to be any social unrest? There are warnings of this in parts of uh, Eastern Germany. Um, you know, if you go for a, if you go for a, um, uh, a public sector strike, a broad public sector strike, all public workers in the UK, it's not going to be good. People allegedly joining this won't pay my energy bill because I can't pay, running into the low millions in the UK. All of this is building up. And it, right. it, it, and presumably it, that means the US dollar, I mean, you know, where are you going to put your money right well, now? You wouldn't be putting it in Europe. The US dollar is just going to go from strength it's to strength. Interesting, isn't it? And perhaps that's why people are putting it in big tech in, in the US, putting it in equities, because, you know, it may not seem safe, but given everything else, it's a lot safer than putting anything anywhere in Europe, isn't it? And that is the topic of foreign exchange markets at the moment. All else equal, high yields, particularly the high yields that we're seeing in the last few days, to your point about UK rate pricing, two and a half, two and three quarters percent in July, now over four percent next year. So UK markets are now pricing in higher rates than they are in the US in an economy that is already struggling as the Bank of England admits is going to be in recession for the next year and a half. Um, that's going to be very, very difficult. And all else equal, that would normally support the pound. What's happening now is inflation expectations are going up so much. Uh, and becoming unanchored, um, that these rate spread movements in the pounds and the euros favour against the dollar are not helping those currencies. They're actually falling, particularly sterling. Um, yeah. It's and three of course or four percent weaker. And then that just adds to the inflation. Pushes well, up of course it does. Adds to the inflation uh, it, it does. And it becomes a bit of a circle, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, a circle of doom. And so I think <laughs> markets are sensing that because yeah. they can't see a way out. They can, they can probably see a way out in the U.S., but for Europe, short of ending the war, and of course this is, you know, the Kremlin's idea when we get into the the the, the, sort of the bleak midwinter, there's going to be a there's going to be a grand bargain uh, once the referenda have taken place in the Donbass. But it's a bargain that the Western Alliance will not like. We've got to see that you know where we are with gas prices and what's the mood of Europe's citizens and businesses at that point. Well, the discussion we've just had, I'm sure that will be covered in detail uh, in the minutes of the last DCB meeting. I'm sure they've been having exactly the same discussion. <laughs> Not at all. Um, but uh, we'll see what they did say. We also get German IFO, uh, which, of course, fell sharply in July. Uh, we can imagine it's going to fall further, given the discussion we've just been having. Uh, so, uh, and um, yeah, and, and New Zealand. Let's, let, let, let's 
talk about New Zealand very quickly. Retail sales uh, today probably holding up, but we do do we want them to be? Yeah, this is um, a quarterly report, Phil. So, um, and it comes on the back of uh, an all point five percent fall in Q one, which itself was impacted by the COVID flare up. So, yeah, the expectation is for something of a rebound. Um, one of the unknowns is the impact of the clean car discount that came in on the first of April, uh, and how that sort of may mess or not with Q Q two retail. Uh, computations. But overall, yes, it should be a positive uh, positive re- report. Um, according to our colleagues at BNZ, it'll be too early to have been in, impacted by the 15% or so drop in fuel prices that's that's been happening in the last month. Um, and of course, we know, I think to your point, consumer confidence has been down this year and running at near recessionary levels. Uh, there's an update on that on Friday. And so, it's not an easy one to gauge. It will be a, a stronger report than Q1, but with these other influences, difficult to gauge just how strong. Right. But if it's too strong, then that will just push the RBNZ to do more, won't it? Well, of course. So we don't. We want to get that balance right, which might be a bit easier in New Zealand than it is in Europe, that's for sure. Uh, well, I think uh, we've painted the picture as it really is in Europe today, haven't we? And, uh, you know, t- time for a t- touch of honesty, maybe. Good to talk, uh, Gavin. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. Not missing his words, is he? That's it for the morning call for this Thursday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then.